take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. In this series, Living with Grace and Ease, we're looking at what gets in the way of us letting go, trusting, and allowing things to just be easier for us. There seems to be a fundamental mistrust in life for most humans, like we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Our social and cultural programming has evolved out of thousands of years of struggle, and our personal and familial programming is part and parcel of that. So we tend to believe in struggle. We tend to believe in difficulty. We tend to believe that life is hard, punishing, heartbreaking, relentless. And on one level, it is. But it's all a matter of perception. It's important to realize that our minds are so powerful that they bend reality to their likeness. So whatever we believe and expect is what we tend to experience. This is not to say that we can remove challenges from life. Life is always going to send us challenges and sometimes very rigorous ones. That's the nature of life. It's not here to make us happy, but to help us understand that very thing so that we can turn inward to realize the one source of true happiness which cannot be found in the world. It is in turning to that one source that we are transformed and literally begin to experience a new and more benevolent reality. But that reality is actually within ourselves. You realize that there's nothing out there and that everything is happening in here. The challenge here is that we literally cannot see outside the contents of our own consciousness. We cannot see what is beyond our current level of awareness. I remember a story that Deepak Chopra told about a certain snail that has a perceptive power of so many frames per second. In other words, its brain can only perceive, let's say, 10 frames per second when it looks at something, whereas we can perceive 10,000 frames per second. Now, those numbers are just arbitrary, by the way. I don't remember what the actual numbers are, so I'm choosing those to make my point. So let's say that our perceptual power is a thousand times greater than that of this snail. So when the snail is looking at something, what he sees as normal would look like stop animation or a flip book to us because we see so many more frames per second. So let's say the snail is looking at an apple in his field of vision. If we then removed the apple in between the frames of its perception, from the snail's perspective, the apple would be there, and then suddenly the apple would not be there anymore. It would not see the hand coming in to remove the apple because it doesn't have the speed or subtlety of perception to see what's really happening. To the snail, it might seem like magic. It was there, and then it just disappeared. 
Well, from our perspective, we know that there's more to it than that because we see more, we perceive more than the snail. This is a useful story for reminding ourselves that our own perception is limited and distorted. We see things not as they are, but as we are. This is a starting point for real humility, which is simply the acceptance of the truth that we do not see things clearly, and therefore any opinion or point of view is provisional at best. It's the awareness that there is a bigger picture of infinite context to any situation that we cannot grasp and is literally beyond the scope of our mind to comprehend. Add to that our own personal distortions coming from our programming and our paradigm, and you can see why it's foolish to think we can understand anything we're looking at. For most humans, the predominant vibration of consciousness for thousands of years has been fear. Under that umbrella, we could variously include guilt, shame, anger, pride, desire, apathy, grief, and all the belief systems which are native to those levels of consciousness. Belief in scarcity, in competition, in loss, in judgment and punishment, and so on. And we can see that the world we have created is a product of those dominant energy fields in our minds. Because it's the water we're swimming in, we believe that what we see is just the way things are. Well, the quantum physicists of today are proving that there are as many realities as there are observers of reality. Is it possible that we, like the snail, have been missing something obvious? Is it possible that there are ways of seeing that are different than what we've always known? Now, I'm not talking about different opinions here or different points of view. I'm talking about the possibility of embracing a wholly different perspective of humanity itself and yourself along with it. What if we were to open our perception to a whole new paradigm that we are divine beings, all of us, having a human experience? Now, I know that that might not seem like a new idea to you. If you listen to this podcast, you're already interested in spiritual growth, but there's a big difference between intellectual agreement with the concept that we are spiritual beings having a human experience and the actual surrender of all our barriers and deep-seated doubt about ourselves as divine. This is the fall, the separation, and we, all of us, if we're human, have at the fundament of our feeling of being separate and distinct from one another and from God, the guilt of separation. This is our perspective. Okay, our perspective, not that of the infinite, which sees only perfection. And we will spend more time delving into this during this season of the grace space. But for now, just feel into this for yourself. The truth is that we don't really believe we are divine. Otherwise, we would have a totally different experience of life. And we'd be living in an entirely different world. When I speak of fear as the dominant vibration we've been living in, I'm not necessarily talking about being in fear of physical harm due to unsafe conditions, though for large segments of the population that's still true, I'm referring to a worldview that is dominated by anxiety and the need to keep things under control due to a lack of trust in life itself. 
Because we have been living in fear, we are so used to holding on so tight and attempting to control every aspect of life that the idea of letting go and letting God is just another internet meme that we pay lip service to but we don't usually live into. Why? Because to truly trust and surrender requires surrendering the ego. And the ego, while it may appear to play nice with you for a while and even pretend to agree with your choice to follow the spiritual path, well, the ego will never of its own undo itself. It's not capable of that. To transcend our identification with it, a shift in perception is necessary. And that has to come from somewhere outside of our usual frame of reference or paradigm of awareness. So if we are unable, like the snail, to see outside our frame, so to speak, how do we ever progress or become aware of that which is outside the frame? By grace. Something is drawing us toward itself. The truth is we are guided. We are surrounded by legions of invisible helpers and support always. We are never alone. And the snail self part of us that feels small and powerless and dim is only a very tiny fraction of who we are. It's just that we're so identified with it and we pay so much attention to it that it seems to be all there is. By the laws of the universe, wherever we place our attention determines what grows in our experience. We are so powerful that if we choose to focus on powerlessness, that is what we experience. It's who we think we are. And the universe cannot go against its own laws. It respects and honors all our choices because we have free will. But there is another greater part of us that is attracting us like a magnet to our higher destiny. 2022 is the year. More big changes are coming, both internally and externally, and we're going to need all our love and trust to expand to the next level of life on Earth. However you may personally see it, what is happening amounts to a quantum leap in consciousness for the whole planet, unlike anything we've seen in eons and certainly not in our lifetime. So some people call it ascension. Some people call it moving into fifth dimensional consciousness. Some people might call it the second coming of Christ consciousness. Whatever you call it, it's happening. And that is why it looks so crazy out there. Because not everyone wants to make the leap. It brings up a lot of fear. And that which would keep most of humanity enslaved to its own ignorance does not want to lose control. The more people become unexploitable, the less power those forces have. Now, don't think for a minute I'm setting up some kind of conflict between good and evil here. That's not it. There's only one truth, and that truth is love. One way or another, love is all there is, and it's not in resistance to anything, and it's not in conflict with anything. I'm suggesting you align yourself consciously with love rather than in opposition to anything else. Great leaps of consciousness are possible now if you are willing to open yourself to a new way of seeing, a new way of seeing yourself, your fellow humans, and the universe through the eyes of love. 
And this brings me to sacred space. In my program, From Burnout to Bliss, we go through a 40-day practice of yoga, breath, and emotional processing while remembering essential spiritual laws that, when embodied, radically shift your perception. Well, one of my recommendations to my students is that they establish sacred space to give them a focus during their 40-day challenge. In this case, an altar of some kind in a private place or even the corner of a room somewhere. It's devoted to the daily practice. This is both a practical consideration and a symbolic one. Not only does it mark a physical space where you will be building rasa, Rasa is a Sanskrit word that we can loosely define as the energy of human emotion, for better or for worse. We have all kinds of rituals in life, some of them conscious, some not, some of them beneficial, some not. But through your practice of certain actions over and over, you build a field of energy, you build rasa. Now places and physical objects absorb rasa and those who are sensitive to such things can pick up on the energy of events that have happened in certain places because the essence of the associated human emotions literally gets recorded into the physical place where the events occurred. Places hold energies. They hold memories. If you've ever been somewhere where terrible things happened or where miraculous things happened, you may be able to feel the echo of the emotions of those who witnessed or took part in those things in that place. When you create a sacred space for yourself, you are building rasa there with your daily practice and devotion to your own growth and highest good. And it starts with your intention because by your very intention to devote an area of your home or your bedroom or whatever to sacred space, you already begin to set the stage for the recognition of your own holiness. I'm going to say that again. Establishing sacred space is a symbolic act in the recognition of your own holiness. It is an exteriorization of the inner altar, the sacred heart of your being, which is divine. Your holiness is that in you, which is drawing you forth into evolution. It's the presence within you that speaks through your heart and instills vision in you for a greater life. It's what calls you forth into more and more expanded versions of yourself through your spiritual path. The spiritual path is just the way you find out you're not what you thought you were. (laughs) It's the way your perception of yourself and the world is healed. When you create an altar outwardly, it can establish a symbolic resonance with your inner altar, the holiness in you. You've proclaimed to the universe, I am willing to believe that I am more than what I believe. And the holiness in you, which comes from the source, the one, is the answer to all your prayers, the solution to all your problems, and the end of the nightmare of death, of constant stress, anxiety, worry, doubt, and all the negative emotions which obfuscate your peace like clouds covering the sun. Without those clouds, your true nature of peace and bliss shines forth in simplicity and splendor. It's who you are already. 
Establishing a sacred space for yourself is also about boundaries. When you create a sacred space just for you in the physical world, it's like giving yourself permission to claim your inner space. This sends a message to your subconscious that you recognize and honor the sacred within you. And it sends a message to those you live with to respect that commitment. It can also have the effect of increasing the awareness in others of the sacred space in them if they are ready. Many people I talk to have doubts about whether they can or should carve out a space for themselves in their own life. It seems crazy when I hear myself say it now because carving out a space for yourself in your own life is a basic right. After all, it's your life. It's no one else's. But the reality is that most people, especially women, allow themselves to be cannibalized by the endless obligations of the outside world, whether it's children and family, work, friends, clients. So many other people and things seem to consume our attention that at the end of the day, there's nothing left for self-care. This is a very common predicament to find yourself in, and it's part of the old paradigm of so-called noble self-sacrifice. The ego loves to juice the drama of noble self-sacrifice and the unhappiness and resentment it engenders because it loves guilt. And guilt requires punishment and the constant search for favor and worthiness. This is one of the most common closed circuit ploys the ego uses to distract you from discovering your own holiness. If you discover your own holiness, all guilt disappears. And when all guilt disappears, the ego's done. It's got nothing left to hold over you anymore. So in order to stay alive, it has to keep you believing in your own guilt and unworthiness and keep you chasing your tail looking for absolution for it, which of course can never be found, because you're already absolved. So, you see, to the cynicism of the ego, setting up an altar for your practice and your practice itself may seem like a sweet little ritual that you do along with buying a new journal to kick off another seeking and never finding quest part of the fluff and newness of an impulse for change that fizzles after a few weeks once the newness has worn off. Because the ego will tell you that you're not worth it, you're a lost cause, you can't be fixed, and that only it can save you by offering you short-lived pleasures and temporary relief through forgetting. Do not succumb to this temptation. Claim your sacred space. When you do this consciously, it is an intentional and reverential act like casting a circle in the old goddess traditions. It's made sacred and reverential by you because you are all there is in your universe and you are holy because your origins are divine. Through your claiming of that sacred space, the presence within you draws you, even in your ignorance, toward that which is beyond the boundary of your current perception. Years ago, this happened to me. In spite of the dimness of my vision, and even without a conscious intention, I was brought into the orbit of my teacher. 
I had already studied and received my first level of certification as a teacher of Kundalini Yoga and meditation back then. I had actively been teaching for a while, and I was so passionate about the yoga and wanting to continually deepen my understanding that I began my second level of training as soon as I was qualified to do so. Looking for a training module that would fit into my schedule, I ventured out online to see where in the world I could go and landed on the website of my teacher's school in France. And something in me vaguely recalled having heard about the place when I sat next to a French guy in my first uh, teacher training in India. And I saw they had a level two module that would sandwich nicely into my schedule. And I thought, well, that's a good excuse to go and see my family in France because it had been about five years since I had seen them. So I booked my spot and I thought no more about it. Honestly, I didn't even explore the website. And I don't even remember being curious about the teacher who was leading the training. I was really only focused on my on the, the practicality of it and planning the rest of my trip around the training to visit my cousins and then get myself back in time to start rehearsals at Stratford. In the week before I was meant to fly to France, I started to feel a little uneasy, like a little resistant to going. And I, I was curious about that. I thought, what is that? You know, I even considered bailing on the trip briefly. It was as if part of me knew I was about to meet my destiny and was nervous about it. Curiosity and excitement won out, though, and off I went in blissful ignorance. As the plane landed in Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris, I felt a ramping up of energy as if I were being drawn into a vortex. When I arrived at the training the first day, the teaching assistants had set up an opening ritual which included a walking meditation around a central altar of the five elements. And this lasted quite a long time. Around and around we all went, eyes on the floor with a particular mudra and hand motion, and I began to travel into the past. It just happened. All kinds of images started coming to me, and I had downloads and insights about what I was doing in France all of a sudden. And I felt a sense of rightness and of disparate, far-flung puzzle pieces from different dimensions and levels of my being, being drawn together by some central attractive force. And then I felt a presence behind me. Our teacher had arrived while we were deep into the walking meditation and had slipped into the circle of students to walk with us, to feel our energy, I guess. Only I couldn't see him. I could feel him behind me. My heart started to pound. And then I could feel him passing by me on the left. And because we were supposed to keep our eyes on the floor, all I could see were his feet as he went by. But that was enough. I knew. I just knew. I knew that I knew, and I knew that I knew him. And I knew that he was my teacher. And I hadn't even seen his face yet. Nor had I been looking for a teacher. I was overwhelmed by a sense of wonder. It all came down at once and it made sense. Everything in my life had been leading me to this moment where I had arrived at the perfect place, at the perfect time, to meet this destiny. 
even though I was a snail in my perception. (laughs) I knew it was the beginning of something and the end of something. In spite of my resistance, in spite of my ignorance, in spite of my lack of intentionality, I had been drawn here. I felt so provided for and loved by a power in the universe. And I knew that this was the definition of grace. I think that was the first time that I really felt what grace was. It was indeed a profound moment of realization. And my life did indeed radically change from that moment forward. I was put onto a new timeline and jumped from fate to destiny. Now, who can say what led to this favorable karma being made manifest in my journey at that moment when I was still so very much in the dark, still so very snail-like in my perception? Well, since I had made the commitment to become a teacher of Kundalini Yoga, the one thing that had changed in my life was daily practice. That was the major lifestyle shift that occurred with my teacher training. But even before that, back when I had first rediscovered Kundalini Yoga after a long hiatus, I had felt the need to have a regular meditation practice. And I started getting up in the morning to do that before anything else. I had set up, a, this is many years ago now, I had set up a little altar in the studio behind our house. And even though I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to meditate really, or how to have an intentional practice, I created a sacred space for myself. Now, listen, I had done this, you know, by fits and starts ever since I was in my early 20s. <laughs> but I always abandoned practice after I would just become disillusioned, disappointed, I was afraid there was nothing in there. And so I could not be consistent. So this was really the first time I became consistent. And I consciously created sacred space for myself and made a decision. Okay. Somewhere within me, I heard the call of the guru. Guru, right? So guru, a guru is not a person. It's a principle. Uh, Gu means darkness. Ru means light. Guru. So it's that power which brings us from darkness to light. And I carved out a sacred space for that holiness in me to be honored. Didn't even know what I was doing or why. But I believe that it reverberated into the field and brought me back to my teacher. So just imagine the power of claiming your sacred space when you do so intentionally. Sacred space is not only the physical place in which practice occurs, but the practice itself becomes a sacred space in your day for accessing that sacred space within you, which is your essence as above, so below. The outside mirrors the inside. If you literally have no space inside your home to call your own, If your living space is overrun with stuff that you haven't dealt with, stacks of paper, if your closets are jammed full of clothes that you don't even wear, if you've got junk drawers that you don't want to look at, if there are children's toys taking over and and dishes piling up in the sink, it's highly unlikely that you have much inner space. 
If you tend to be reactive, if you get triggered easily and go into a programmed reaction towards any situation or person, it's a sign that you don't have much inner space yet. In other words, well, let's put it this way. You're not aware of your own true state of inner spaciousness. The spaciousness is always there. You're just not aware of it. And now more than ever, what is needed is spaciousness. And for us each to discover, rediscover our own spaciousness. We need to face something here, and I believe it needs to be clearly stated. You cannot make it in this day and age without the sacred space that daily practice of some kind affords. And if you think you can, you're kidding yourself. Things are happening really fast. More changes are coming. We've gone through a great deal in the last couple of years, and it's not over yet. This is just the beginning of massive sweeping changes on this planet. You must be able to keep up with the times and keep your nervous system and your immune system strong and resilient. Now for that, I know no better spiritual technology than Kundalini Yoga. It is truly grow or die now. And I'm not saying that to scare you. It's exciting. This is what we signed up for. (laughs) So let's meet the challenge with a heart full of love and the self-respect that comes from a commitment that you renew daily to honor yourself, the holiness in you. Establishing sacred space gives you a structure for repetition and repetition is key for rewiring your brain and body. That's how we change old, unhelpful, and destructive habits into new, promoting, and healthy habits. Plus, you will feel amazing. Daily practice builds your self-respect. It builds your self-confidence. And most importantly, it builds character. It puts you back in the center of your life. It helps you set healthy boundaries so that you can actually serve others and be there without depleting your own energy. So the next time you hear yourself saying that you don't have time for a centering practice of some kind in your life, that's just an excuse for staying stuck in the same old pattern. We always have time for what matters most to us. Taking time and space for yourself is not selfish. And if it is, it's the right kind of selfish. (laughs) This is a myth that's propagated by that which does not want you to discover the truth about just how powerful you are. Respecting your sacred space is the number one best thing you can do for those you love because it teaches them to respect themselves and the sacred space within them, their own spiritual nature. If you have children, this is the highest gift you can give them. Taking time and space for yourself is more important than it's ever been. And it's the only real way you can contribute to healing yourself and the world. It is more effective than writing to your representative. It is more effective than protesting, working to change laws, or any other efforts you make in the world. I'm not saying don't do those things if they're things that you feel passionately about, but be watchful of the state you're in as you do them and what vibration you're offering to the universe. Are you uplifting 
or are you succumbing to the negativity that predominates? If you have established a sacred space to honor the holiness within you, every action you take in the world will be blessed by that holiness and will be that much more spiritually powerful and effective. Know yourself as sacred first and let your cup run over into the world. If you're intrigued by this conversation and would like to go deeper and work with me personally, please check out the links in the episode info. You can make the changes you want to make in your life. You may just need some guidance and some structure. I believe in you. See you next time. And meanwhile, walk in grace. Thank you for joining me in the grace space where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.